1: what is up everybody welcome inside the guilty as charged podcast coming to you live on a sunday afternoon evening depending where you're at and uh joining me today are my guys alex and maverick we got maverick from top gun (laughs) aka kyle kyle what's up man how you doing
2: guys i am riding so high after seeing the new top gun i couldn't help it i am thrilled and i am stoked to be on here today to be your guys' wingman
1: Yeah, we got uh, Kyle on the show, back-to-back episodes, so uh, had his debut earlier this week and uh, filling it in again for uh, Tyler as he's uh, making his way back from Hawaii, so hope he's having a good vacation. Also back in the States, without the uh, pleasure of the company of the Caribbean birds, is uh, (laughs) Mr. Alex, who's back in the States. Alex, uh, finishing up his finals and everything like that. So Alex, what's up, man? How you doing? Uh, Good. Recovering
3: from sleep deprivation and none of you in the comments can complain about birds for two more months. Uh, So we are good on that front and uh, excited to get this show on the road.
1: Yeah, should be a lot of fun. Obviously, welcome back. Glad you finished another semester of med school. Um, And today we are going to talk about a bunch of the uh, OTA takeaways. Of course, the second week of takeaways is uh, officially over. So we'll talk about a bunch of those things from, you know, the press conferences, from also Asante Samuel Jr.'s Mic'd Up session, which I thought were, there were some good nuggets in there. Uh, we'll talk about all of it. Oh, we got Maverick putting on the Justin Herbert jersey now. There was, we go.
2: short but I had to give it a little, a little, a little shout-out to Top Gun. But, yeah, yep. we, had, we had Justin underneath.
1: A little, a little too hot for that kind of jacket these days. <laughs> I'm but,
2: already uh, sweating, so, yeah. <laughs>
1: all right sounds good so we won't uh keep you guys for too long obviously we know that the nba finals are uh, about to wrap up i know a good amount of chargers fans who are also warriors fans uh for what it's worth i hope the celtics keep winning but that's just me um ew that being (laughs) hey man i live in an area where it's like a very large portion of nba fans here are warriors fans and they're very obnoxious about it um also tied together with the amount of raiders fans so i can't do it i I can't root for the warriors under any capacity
3: no 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 i'm sorry i'm sorry if you think warriors fans are obnoxious and they are but boston fans are more obnoxious they've won 80 titles in my lifetime i've had to be miserable my whole lifetime i cannot let boston get another title under any circumstances steph curry clay thompson whatever dub nation they have to win it i'm sorry
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i I don't have to deal with Boston fans. Obviously, I know that there's a lot of uh, oh. history there with certain fans of that fan base. But uh, I don't know. I'm just uh, I'm mm-hmm. rooting for Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, man, and Al Horford. How can you not root for Al Horford at this point? Fuck Al um, Horford. He robbed. <laughs> I, I forgot he was on the Sixers for a little bit. <laughs> yeah,
3: and now oh, now he can finally shoot three pointers once he gets out of Philadelphia. Great. <laughs>
1: all right well uh those of you who are here live let us know in the comments who you're rooting for today who you think uh is going to win the series we'll have some fun with that one um that being said we are going to talk about like i said some takeaways from the second week of the otas um and kind of on a fun note i guess not to say that what we are going to talk about the rest of the show won't be fun but i want to talk about asante samuel jr's mic'd up session because uh, there were a few things in there. I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch it, but um, I, I just, it was really cool to see him because everything that we had seen up until this point was him kind of being reserved, kind of trying to find his way. And in this mic'd up session, he's talking trash to Mike Williams, saying he's going to make his money, you know, off of him. He's hes getting an interception and then him and JC Jackson just turning up. So I wanted to talk about Asante Samuel Jr. and anything you guys took away from his Miced up session. So, Alex, uh, I don't know if you watched it, but uh, anything to take away from Asante Samuel Jr.'s second week of OTAs, maybe some expectations for uh, his sophomore season?
3: Yeah, no, I I love watching the Mic'd up session. Uh, He just brings a lot of energy. Now, I mean, the Charter social media team unfortunately had to like cut half of it out, uh, which (laughs) which I respect Asante Samuel Jr. for a lot. He brings a lot of energy to the field. Uh, But yeah, no, I mean, him versus Mike Williams was fun. And then Keenan Allen tried. To like say that he didn't get a pass breakup and then he didn't just drop it, I thought that was also pretty fun. Um, but yeah, he, he's 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 all in for the second year. I, I do expect quite a lot out of him if we're talking just like expectations wise, because I think he's shown the ability uh in his first year when he wasn't injured, unfortunately, with that concussion. So, as long as he stays healthy, I mean, I, I think that the expectations are, are pretty high for his second year and fairly so.
1: Kyle, any thoughts there about uh something's mic'd up session?
2: Yeah, so I have not seen it yet, but to piggyback off of what you were kind of saying just in his confidence level and what it sounds like he was saying out there, um, it really (laughs) parallels his press conference from a couple weeks ago that gave me a lot of hope for him really turning the corner, him fully admitting that last year he didn't really have the opportunity to work on his craft, but instead as as players in skill positions I'm sure often have to do was more focused on stupid things like dropping your 40 time from 4.4 to 4.37 or something like that because that little bit means so much. But then once you get to the football field, really doesn't mean deadly. Um, yeah. This year he's actually been able to work on technique, work on coverage assignments. Uh, I watched a lot of film of his last year where you could tell – Physical traits, man coverage abilities were there, but he did get lost a couple of times in Staley's complex zone coverage schemes. So Mm -hmm. him expressing that and expressing he's had a full year to really dive in, learn the terminology, learn his assignments, and now to see it echo in both his press conferences and his mic'd up sessions on the field where he's like, oh, I'm arriving. That's a big deal for us because as you and I talked about, Stephen, or earlier in the week... um, if we're going to move JC Jackson around and let him shadow number ones, we're going to need a guy on that weak side. If Staley is playing that scheme we're used to seeing, that we're comfortable manning up on somebody or knowing when, yeah, I'm supposed to man up on this guy. But if he does like a short in where in Staley's scheme on that weak side, you let that go. Um, what do I pick up next? So,
1: yeah. really, really high
2: on Asante this year. Very excited.
1: Yeah, I, I can't wait to see this year two leap for him. And, and traditionally speaking, um you know these corners who come into the NFL unless your name is like Patrick Sertan or Jalen Ramsey like you generally kind of see some growing pains some bumps and of course uh part of that was Asante Samuel Jr's you know concussions but um you know he certainly did not finish the season the way that he started it and you know I'm glad you mentioned kind of what Brandon Staley, his role here is and, and what kind of difference that Asante Samuel Jr will see this year just mentally And I go back to what Staley said after Asante Samuel Jr. won like Rookie of the Month or his second Rookie of the Week or something like that. And he was like, well, if you look at that second interception against the Chiefs, Asante Samuel Jr. was actually out of position. And he kind of just got lost. And then, you know, Patrick Mahomes just made a really boneheaded play and Asante Samuel Jr. took advantage. And so I think those, those things will just be things, opportunities for him to clean up and you know from a technical standpoint these corners will come in and just make huge strides we know the physicality is there we know that the confidence is there the ball skills so i am expecting like a big big season from asante in his second season
2: can i piggyback off that with with a question to you guys um we've talked about how sometimes like sacks can produce more sacks right how, you know, you got like a Mac, you got a Bosa, and if they're both kind of competing against each other for sacks or just helping take, um, you know, blocking assignments off of them, but also having that competitive edge against each other, you know, that can breed more sacks for the team as a whole. Do you think having a playmaker like JC Jackson that makes his bread off of getting his hands on the ball makes everyone else's hands a little bit more sticky?
1: Alex, you want to go that one first?
3: Yeah, no, I think there's definitely something to that, and I think there's also just the concept of, like, I mean, it's a little bit harder in Staley's defense because no one's, like, we're not really playing, like, sides of the field. Everyone's going to be all over the place. Um, but, you know, there is the concept of just kind of like an island, right? Uh, with J.C. Jackson, I do think that will exist. Like, quarterbacks are, are going to kind of be afraid to throw to him, not in, like, a Darrell Rivas way by any means, but uh, people are going to be afraid to throw on the ball, and that's going to create opportunities for Asante, Michael Davis, to show who they are. Uh, in those moments as well. And I think if Santa gets a couple interceptions here and there, and then you get the ball rolling uh, just by Jackson not getting the ball thrown. his way. Uh, So I think there's only something in just bringing in somewhat the standard that Jackson does have.
1: The league. Yeah, Alex, you're cutting in and out there, but I, I think I got the gist of what you were saying. And I think these turnovers are absolutely contagious. I think so much of defense in the NFL, is really just about getting into a zone and getting in confidence with yourself and with your teammates and being able to see somebody like JC, you know, get a pass breakup, get an interception, you know, that absolutely kind of carries over to the rest of the DB to the rest of the DBs. And I think there were James, of course, play will play a part in there. And, you know, we talked about JT Woods on our show earlier in this week, Kyle and I, that was, and so I think the Chargers have done a really good job of bringing in all of these players with these turnover tendencies, really good ball skills. And I think we might see a little bit of kind of like a competition going on between these guys to see who can maybe get the most interceptions. You know, historically, we don't see somebody like J.C. Jackson uh, kind of repeat these um, interception heavy seasons like we've seen the past two seasons. So, you know, if he gets five or six, maybe it's Samuel Jr. is like, hey, man, like I want to lead this team in interceptions. I want to have more interceptions than J.C., and I think those kind of conversations, those kind of battles will absolutely, you know, pay dividends for the secondary.
2: Couldn't agree more, guys. Couldn't agree more. I um, I think back on like yeah. Seattle, back in their big Legion of Boom days when it was at its peak and reading that Pete Carroll liked to prioritize turnover so much, he made like an entire, I forget if it was an entire practice or half a practice, like we're just going to focus on catching the ball and uh, turning the ball over, be it be yeah. an interception or a strip. And I could see kind of that kind of mentality trickling over a little bit with a guy like JC, like, okay. Okay. son. like, if you can, uh, if you, if you can get to that receiver, just go ahead and get your hands on the ball and let's we'll see it. See you get that turnover and, um, just be nice to see that focus happen. I'd be pretty stoked because it's an area that we've lacked for a bit.
3: Yeah. They, they, on the, uh, Asante Samuel Jr. mic'd up as I do like the part where he was talking to Derwin James and he was sort of like, Oh, I'm, I'm this is the part where we make our money. And Derwin James is like, Yeah, but me first. Yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, you'll make your money one day, but I'm gonna get my 800 million right, right now. So,
1: <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. I, I, I really can't wait to see this secondary pan out and kind of branching off this, if, if you will, you know, from at least from the pictures that we've been seeing from the videos. You know, it kind of seems like Bryce Callahan might have a have an early leg up. Again, it's very early in the process. But, uh, you know, Bryce Callahan being in, in this secondary, I think, is really going to give them some options, along with Michael Davis, just to have that versatility. And, and we kind of went over, you know, the, the depth chart and, and how there aren't many battles that are truly like battles this year. Obviously, the right tackle situation is, is going to be like the key point of training camp and everything. But. You know Bryce Callahan versus Michael Davis. I feel like is truly a battle to keep an eye on, mm-hmm. and if not, kind of the sticking point of the defense to see how kind of that shakes out.
2: If Bryce Callahan wins that battle, do you think there's a chance that Davis gets traded to maybe a team like I don't know Indianapolis? <laughs> <laughs> Just kind of curiosity. Uh, I, I, I like the depth but I, i've yeah. seen that from some people and i feel like if he does get overtaken that it might be a foregone conclusion that he gets traded next offseason so does that what, what do you guys think about that or where, where the how that might play out if bryce really steps up
1: yeah i'd be good. go ahead Alex, sorry. Say
3: it's only only a, only a next year kind of thing if he were to get traded or you know potentially cut next year with how much money they can save against the cap but if they feel like they can get a pick out of it um, I think it would be next year just because I don't, I don't think they want to play. I don't think they want to play with fire with the depth this season uh, after just getting yeah. JC Jackson and hoping Asante Samuel jr. Obviously could stay healthy this year. Um, but uh, you know, I I think that if Bryce Callahan really does beat him out this year, then it's, it, it's kind of almost a foregone conclusion that I don't think Michael Davis is back next year already, but I mean, that would certainly fortify that even more.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I, I'm on the same page. I, I, can't imagine listening to Brandon Staley, you know, talk about becoming a deeper team, becoming a more complete team, especially in the secondary and always looking for corners and then trading Michael Davis, you know, unless like a a great offer kind of pops up in the middle of the season. But, you know, if you trade him before the season, then you're kind of just back to square one from last year, right? In terms of the depth in the secondary, because then again, you're one injury away from Tavon Campbell starting, or Kimon Hall, or whoever they they choose, just or Taylor. So I, I think they hold on to him, kind of let him reboot his value, if you will, and then if he plays really, really well, then they can trade him next year. If he doesn't play very well, if Callahan just kind of stays healthy and holds on to that role, then you cut him next year and um, kind of go, go from there, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so Kareem kind of asking a question here. How well do you think Michael davis Volato needs to play for them to keep him on that current cap hit? Keep him for next year, I should say, clarifying there. Uh, I
3: mean, I, well, obviously it would need to be like really, really well, but even if you're doing that, that kind of almost increases the possibility, I think, of a trade somewhat because you still, if Michael Davis is your CD4, I mean, I guess if we're saying he plays really well, he's like your CB3. You still, I don't know if you want your CB3, CB4 making $9 million, right? Like that's sort of, I think, the structural problem with like that contract that they gave out. Um, And and they always intended that to be that way in that third year deal. Um, But I almost think it's kind of almost regardless of how he plays this year that there's not really a strong chance that he's back in addition to the fact that this wasn't the coach that, I mean, this was the coach that signed him to that extension, but it it wasn't the coach that kind of like brought him up through that like Gus Bradley system with the Chargers. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I would sort of think that it's probably still pretty low. I mean, if if you tell me Michael Davis plays an all-pro season, like, yeah, of course things can change. But uh, I, I don't think that with his nature where he is on the team as like a CB3, CB4, the financial nature of that really makes sense.
2: Mm -hmm. I think it could come down to whether or not if Taylor and Leonard both don't show that they can take over as strong depth pieces slash rotational players, maybe they look at it for more of like an aggregate level and say, um, you know, we're averaging. I forget if if, um, JC jumps to stays at like 16.5 ish or 16 or jumps up to 19 already. I think it might be like 14 or 15 million next year. Do you guys know his cap hit? Uh,
1: I can look in just a second. Yeah.
2: But with Asante, J.C. and Michael Davis, they're probably hovering right about um, like 50. They might be in like the 26, 27 million dollar range, which isn't like with how inexpensive we got J.C. for for what he is. You know, a lot of these stud cornerbacks are in the 20s and to have your CB1, CB2, CB3 come in below, you know, 27 million a year. Maybe that's still an attractive value if, as Stephen says, uh, his, you know, value gets rebooted and he shows he can be a strong CB number two in this system. But I think that's going to come down to whether or not he can learn the system like like we've also talked about. It's a whole different deal playing cover three than playing in Staley's system, and we'll have to see if Michael Davis, you know, can – can be a little bit more of a complete cornerback
1: to to do
2: that so if he can learn the yeah. system if taylor and leonard falter maybe he's back but he's got an uphill battle
1: yeah i think it is kind of an uphill battle he would have to play very very well stay healthy all that good stuff um so in terms of his actual contract his his cap number for next year would be 9.4 million dollar uh right now that's zero dollars guaranteed Um, However, if he is on the roster as of the third day of the 2023 league year, he would gain a $1.5 million bonus. So um, again, that's a very small amount of money. But um, I was curious to see too, if they saved more money by trading him or cutting him post June 1. And so it's all the same. If they cut him pre-June 1, post-June 1, trade him pre-June 1, post-June 1, it's all the same they save 7.4 million dollars they take on a Ted Capit of two million dollars for Michael Davis so there really isn't much of a difference there I know that's kind of always a consideration if you know if you're talking about when you can cut him when you can trade him but for Davis's case it is all the same
2: I think that boils down to if they're in the last year of their deal Steven it's it's the same the, the that designation doesn't matter because if it's post June yeah. I think the cap pick gets rolled into the next year. So if they're already in their last contract year, then there's nowhere for it to go, you know?
1: Right. Right. I I was, I know that there's just sometimes a difference versus trading and cutting a player. So I was Mm -hmm. just kind of curious there. And then to your question about uh, JC Jackson, his cap number for 2023 is 17 million. And then Asante's would be about 1.5 because of the rookie contract. So yeah. um, You know, that, essentially you're looking at 27 million dollars for your primary three corners which isn't necessarily outrageous like their team's doing more than that right like the dolphins yeah. doing byron jones and Xavier howard and, and stuff like that so um it just kind of depends how they want to divert their money again you know starting next year you'll have the derwin extension you know you'll be budgeting for uh, justin herbert's deal at some point um you'll probably have to restructure keenan allen joey bosa or Mac, or all three to free up some cap space so um again just kind of depends on their preferences where how they want to work that
3: yeah and then i think thing is someone mentioned chat uh kaiser white balled out last year um and and didn't really get that, that contract extension like some expected him to uh so i think if you're looking at that as kind of a reference point then you know i think it comes down to do the chargers still think they need michael davis um more so than does Michael Davis play really well if they think they can move on from him and get similar production like they clearly believe with Kaiser White despite the season he had, then I almost kind of think that, like, adds to the argument of, like, replacing Michael Davis and, and the ability to do that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think some of that, obviously, is the positional value there. and um, Of course, yeah. Right. Um, wrong speedy you pointed out. They could technically renegotiate his contract. So they they could do kind of what they did with Denzel Perryman and essentially give him like, if he plays very well, do, do a one-year extension, you know, push some of that cap towards 2024 as opposed to 2023. So I I think all options are on the table at this point for Michael Davis. You, You can't teach what he has. And, you know, they kind of need that length, that size, that speed to kind of balance things out in my opinion, because, kind of projecting towards next year. Like if they really, really like Jaw Taylor, and they certainly could, then you're talking about three very undersized cornerbacks in the room. And we kind of talked about this, you know, in drafting, potentially drafting Trent McDuffie. So right now, if you have Michael Davis, I feel like that bounc it cancels itself out, balances itself out really nicely. But if you lose Michael Davis and you're relying on you know JC Jackson, Asante Temi Jr. and Jaw Taylor and somebody else, then I think you kind of need that somebody else to be a taller, longer, faster corner. Mm -hmm. Uh, So another one of the comments that I wanted to talk about from uh, the press conferences here was actually from Keenan Allen. And and there were two comments to me that really stood out. Uh, You know, he was asked about Joey Bosa reporting for the second week of OTAs. And kind of what that signals about this Chargers team, because Joey Wilson t- typically does not report for OTAs at all. He typically kind of stays in Florida, trains with his brother with his personal trainer. But uh, he's out here for the second week of OTAs. We'll see if he comes back next week. Uh, but you know, Keenan Allen pointing that to you know being a true sign of like the culture changing uh, within this Chargers team and kind of showing how big the sense of urgency this is for for this season is for this team so Kyle what do you make of uh Keenan Allen's comments about the culture shift and Joey Bosa kind of showing up for uh the OTAs for the first time ever I think
2: <laughs> I mean having Bosa Mac and Kyle Van Noy show up for OTAs is ama- along with everybody else is amazing it brings me back to the 94 Super Bowl run where those guys were you know, a lot's been written about them and it's hard to go back and research because there's also been a lot of tragedy around that team. You know, it's, it's had a abnormally high death rate for a Super Bowl team. That's as young as it should be. And that's kind of what the headlines will get you lost in. If you go back and try to research it, but the athletic released an article last year that was great. um, That really focused on how that unit saw itself as a family and they went above and beyond with volunteer practices and stuff like that. And just a, a lot of them, would just hang out in the, um, around the locker rooms or just hang out together and, you know, play games or whatnot, and really bonded a lot more than what you would see as typical for a team at that time. So to see the guys kind of replicate that now in a different environment, in a different way, I think is absolutely killer. And like Keenan said, it's and, and like you guys have said previously, like it's everybody's kind of cluing in to the the fact that there's something very special here. There's something amazing happening. There's a ton of talent on the field in a big way, like some of these guys, I think like Keenan, the way he said it too, I think also alluded to him not feeling like he had to be Superman out there. Like I'm looking around and I'm seeing all pros at every position. He's like, it's not all on me at this point. We've got a team that can pull this thing through. And that's a powerful thing and a powerful statement for him to make.
1: Yeah, I think from a leadership standpoint, that's really spot on because for the longest time, you know, it really has been, you know, like obviously you had Keenan and, and Philip Rivers and, you know, Derwin uh, has always been a leader. But then you look at just like the players that have come in and be able to kind of take in this leadership and, and kind of hit it in stride. You know, somebody like Calvin, somebody like Sebastian Joseph Day, who's already, you know, having a big role for this team. And, you know, being able to take over those mantles from players who – you know, kind of have come and gone, and I think it's so cool because, you know, so much of this team is like in a new era, and seeing all these new leaders it, it is a really cool thing as well. And you know, just from Keenan's Keenan Allen standpoint, right? Like he's always he's been like kind of the holdover from the San Diego days. He's been kind of the holdover from the Philip River days, and so him kind of being that older spokesperson, if you will, and him kind of being able to see all these changes that are happening. I would imagine it's just something that's really cool for him because, you know, like as the NFL lit is is pointing out, you know, they've had the same offense, the same Phillip Rivers, the same everything. And so for him just kind of getting all this change I feel like would have to be uh pretty rejuvenating for him. Mm-hmm. Alex
3: Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it would have to be pretty rejuvenating for him to be in, to be on this team that has a lot of talent. Um, and I think we've talked about Chargers teams in the past, maybe 2017, 2018, uh, where it's like they've been good Charger teams, right? Like you have the 12 and 14 from 2018 um, and plenty of teams from those years. But that team also wasn't super stacked like I guess this one is uh, from the top yeah. on down. You always had offensive line problems in 2018 uh, that really, you know, killed that team or the secondary against the Patriots where every defensive back was hurt. Uh, and it just felt like they couldn't really do anything in that game. Uh, so there have always been holes in these Chargers teams. And I think this is the first time where it, it does feel a little bit different. I think Joey Bosa being there is great. don't know if is because there is Khalil Mack and there is Kyle Van Noy now, right? It's not just, okay, I'm running back with Bosa here. I'm running it back with Melvin Ingram, who I've been with for a really long time. I think having yeah. really different players, really high caliber players now, edge rush alongside of him, uh, give him probably some extra motivation to show up this year and um, obviously get to know their tendencies and, and how to work with them on the field.
1: Yeah, and I think for Joey, it's very similar because, you know, he doesn't have to be Superman this year. You know, we, we've talked about the last two years, you know, 2020, Melvin Ingram's kind of on his way down. You still kind of don't know what to see from Echenna and Wosu uh, or Jerry Tillery, which obviously has not worked out. Um, and then this year, you know, he gets to rely on, on Kalil Mack a little bit more. He gets to rely on Kyle Van Noy and his experience and his versatility. And um, I think that's so valuable for Joey to come in and be like, hey, man, like this is such a good pass rush room. Be able to learn from Kalil Mack and just pick his brain, even though, you know, Khalil's not that much older than him. And again, just having like that competition, that competitive vibe, I think will do wonders. And I have to also say, Joey's hair looking pretty nice. That that flow is back. It looks good. Um, you know, it was uh, it was a good sight to see after you know him being uh, buzzed for a little bit.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed.
2: These are the things that matter, guys. Let's <laughs> see how many head and shoulders reps we can get on this team. We yeah. yeah. really, yeah. These measure- are
1: hard, hard hitting analysis. <laughs> yeah, I did mention that. Brooke texted me a picture from them uh, on Instagram and was like, "This has to be the Justin Herbert effect." You know, all these guys trying to grow out their hair, trying to look like Justin. You know. <laughs> Um, all right, one other point that I wanted to bring up, and then we'll kind of you know see where we're at. Uh, Joe Lombardi had some very interesting conversations and, and points that he brought up. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about the football 202 Kyle and I did on uh on Wednesday's show. Um, one thing in particular that stood out to me though was it about Gerald Everett, the tight end edition, actually said that they tried to get him last year in free agency, and so that they are. Very very excited about him. They view him truly as a, a complete tight end. Something that Alex has kind of talked about is the difference between him and Jared Cook is that Gerald Everett is actually a, a you know reliable blocker and can do more things athletically at this point in his career. So, Kyle, I'm curious, uh, kind of what your expectations are for Gerald Everett this year, and uh, what do you make of Lombardi's comments about him about them you know being interested in him last year as well?
2: I think it's kind of a wild strike against the brow of uh, jared cook (laughs) to hear that but tight end's been one of those spots where as i look at the roster and you know can kind of definitively say we've almost improved at every single position group except maybe middle linebacker um tight end was one of the ones that was like like how much did we improve is it almost like a you know, like for like, but with a lot of upside, a lot more upside than what Jared Cook would have, but are they going to kind of have sure. similar like floors or just kind of ex- like baseline expectations, but hearing that they really valued him and tried to pursue him early on gives me a lot of faith that, Hey, you know, again, I like putting things on the coaches and they're just trusting in their process and what they're doing. And if they believe if he was somebody that they were targeting before Cook, that I believe we can like definitively stamp that, even though I think most people have agreed with that by now, that Everett's definitely going to be an upgrade. Just makes me feel even better that they have a very strong plan for him and how they're going to use him and have a lot of faith in him. Um, and like you said, complete back, that's or a complete tight end takes a little bit of weight off McKitty as being just our blocker. So hopefully we see all these guys being used. Effectively, his chess pieces with Parham kind of being a guy that's just more of our role player, more of our receiver, our deep our deep threat, or just our red zone guy, um, but the other guys being able to be in the trenches, getting blocks, making plays, um, and never ha- really having to come off the field.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that this kind of goes back to Keenan Allen's comments a little bit where he was talking about, you know, there's an all-pro at every position. And, and Jared, uh, I was going to say, Gerald Everett is not an all-pro, but he's a guy that, Could he have been a pro bowler in Seattle if Russell Wilson knew what a tight end was (laughs) possible, right? Um, I do think that you you talk about the usage uh, and and how guys are using offense. If you have a very clear way that you want to implement Gerald Everett, then that makes his usage a little bit higher, of course. Um, And, you know, you could talk yourself into a pro bowl season for Gerald Everett kind of player Um, probably much harder to do in the AFC with Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller there. Um, But if you have Justin Herbert, um, then, you know, kind of anything's possible. If you just put up better production than Jared, right? I think he had 478 yards last year in Seattle. Uh, and so now, you know, you kind of can put him up, maybe let's say 650, 700 yards. Not that that gets you to the Pro Bowl, but I do think you can talk about upping his production uh, in a way that I think is, is could be noticeable. Um, so even though the Chargers don't have like an all-pro at that position, kind of like Keenan Allen was saying, they have someone that I think can give you Pro Bowl-type production, even though he wasn't necessarily doing that before in Seattle just because of the difference uh, of how he would be being used in that system. Um, and it does kind of make sense going back to the 2021 offseason that they seemingly lost out on Gerald Everett first and then lost out on Jared Cook, uh, or just had to settle for Jared Cook, I should say. Um, yeah. you know, obviously, we're in the Zacherts kind of trade sphere too until that didn't pan out. So Jared Cook seems like he was like their fourth or fifth option at this point that they just had to take, uh, which I guess for a year is not too too terrible with what they pay him. Right. Right. Um, But I definitely think that they view Gerald Everett as a a pretty significant upgrade, even though they're around the same cost on a yearly basis.
1: Yeah, I I would totally agree with that. And I I think if you're talking about Gerald Everett versus Jared Cook, you know, ideally you're talking, you know, like Kyle's saying more upside, but also somebody I think is just more reliable from a down to down basis than, Jared Cook was, and I think, you know, Cook in a vacuum is a really solid one-year option. But you know, you're hopefully depending on Jared Everett to be a more versatile and reliable player. Um, you know, Justin Herbert pointed out last week that they really liked that they could kind of hand the ball off to Jared Everett in red zone situations, and you know, get him the ball in in a unique sort of ways. And I think you're also just getting like a more consistent down to about down to down tight end, which is. <laughs> crazy to talk about. You're talking about 13 year veteran versus a four year veteran. And you know, the four year veteran is the more consistent player. So I'm really excited to see Everett and and what he's able to do. And, you know, he had a good season last year. um, But, you know, we're kind of talking about a player who missed two games to COVID. And then he came back and Russell Wilson wasn't there for a few games. He had to catch the ball from Geno Smith for those, those, that short little stint. And he still ended up having a good season. So, You know, if he doesn't get COVID, if Gino doesn't get or if Russ doesn't get hurt, you know, we we might have seen him get, you know, 600 yards, six touchdowns last year and, you know, be a bit more of a a pricey addition. So um, I think this could be a a long term solution here. Um, You know, Kyle and I talked a little bit about uh, the Notre Dame tight end potentially being a draft target next year. So I think everything is on the table for the tight end room. If Gerald ever plays great, he'll stick around, get an extension probably. If he's just like okay, if he's just kind of a marginal upgrade over Jared Cook, then I think we could see them kind of explore a, a longer term replacement next year.
2: I would still be all in on
1: Michael Mayer. <laughs> if
2: Everett balls out, I'm like, all right, it's two, right <laughs> or it's two tight end set mm-hmm. time. All right, let's yeah. do it. Put those two out there, have <laughs> the bath, bath, just running smash mouth football, man.
1: Yeah, we're just we're just going uh, we're we're going back to the '80s, like you know, fashion in a sense. Um, you know, Everett O'Neill kind of pointing <laughs> out the drops again. I, I'm not very concerned about that personally. I, I think that was more of a one season aberration than it is kind of a pattern for him. Um, but you know, I, I guess we'll see if he has more drops this year. Then you know, we'll obviously eat our, eat our words there. But um, I do think that Jared Everett is in store for a career year if he can stay healthy this year.
3: Yeah, and I mean, even if, let's say, the drops don't go down, if you look at his drop numbers, they're still severely better than what you got out of Jared Cook. So, right. I, I mean, and if you look at their last three, four seasons combined in terms of drop percentage, like, averages, um, that, that way won't well, right, work, I think, like, trend less over the last, like, four years or something like that. Um, so, to me, uh, I, I don't even know. You know, are there going to be times where he drops the ball? Yeah. Are there gonna be times where maybe he even has the the Jared Cook special of just like getting cooked out of a play and then you're running the other way? <laughs> maybe he does that one yeah. time. Uh so but I don't think it'll be nearly as, as um bad from down to down or game to game as it was with Jared Cook and you're paying the same price for a pretty significant upgrade.
1: Yeah, I, I just really liked hearing that they view him as a legitimate weapon, so um you know we'll see how that one pans i'm really excited to to see that happen in training camp and in preseason things like that so last thing that i had prepared for you know our conversation today and then we can kind of take some questions maybe we'll see where we're at uh joe lombardi talking about the continuity of the offense and and kind of the benefits of what the chargers will be kind of experiencing this year um obviously we talked a little bit about justin herbert and, and his benefits but Just from a everybody else standpoint, I mean, you're talking about an offense that's bringing at least at least eight starters back from last year and a lot of other key contributors, um, you know, talking about Josh Palmer, talking about, um, you know, some of these other offensive linemen. So the second year of the offense and, and one of the things that he mentioned specifically was just avoiding those kind of pre snap mistakes that really bit the Chargers in the ass early in the season, of course you know we had the all of the pre snap motion penalties that took points off the board he seemed to think and allude to you know the second year in the offense and everybody being more comfortable kind of eliminating those errors and then the other thing he mentioned of course was being able to truly evolve the offense and put in some more wrinkles so uh alex what would you make of joe lombardi's comments there in terms of the continuity and the benefits of the continuity
3: Uh, not to harp too much on the Jared Cook point, but the illegal shift should be down, uh, too, with him being <laughs> off the team as well. So hopefully yeah. hopefully not having um But no, I think continuity for the offense will be good. Uh, I do think if you look at the positions that they don't have continuity at, um, it's kind of like, all right, well, you know, our backup running back and like that changing with Isaiah Spiller, obviously with Gerald Everett taking over, but as far as their top um, line starters are their top end, uh, obviously they're kind of playing around with how they're going to deal with the right tackle situation. Um, so that's the area where continuity might concern you. And having Storm Norton, even though that would count as continuity, might not be a good thing. Or Patrick Pipkins in there uh, might not be a good thing either. So they still have to figure out that situation. But overall even if you're talking about another year with Storm Norton starting a tackle or another year of Trey Pipkins potentially starting from the beginning, I I think either one of those probably will just be better in year two of the uh, Joel Lombardi offense than it was in year one, uh, where the first four games offensively are are pretty hard to watch from last season, even though they kind of made up for it, like in the Chiefs game, like, okay, we just got a turnover at the right time. And now Justin Herbert can kind of beat us down the field. So uh, I definitely expect the offense to be more like it was around the second half of the season where it felt like they kind of started to find their way a little bit, even though their defense cost them.
2: I think to piggyback off that continuity is going to be big for us this year, as we've talked about with Justin Herbert being in his second year of this off of an offense for the first time. Since you know high school for him is great, that's that's we've hyped on that a lot, so we can leave that one be for now. But um, there's also an opportunity in playing a Raiders team re- week one that has a whole new you know uh, staff and front office that's going to be struggling a little bit. And we've already identified many times over some position groups that are ripe to be taken advantage of. Yes, uh, and then when we get to KC. We're going to be dealing with a team that is going to have to rediscover their identity a little bit. Like, yes, Kelsey is the heartbeat there. He makes the chains move. And, but, and Patrick Mahomes is obviously the guy. But a big part of that offense predicated on the threat of Tyreek Hill. And for them to kind of rediscover life after that is going to be interesting, even though they typically come out hot early in the season. I think there's something to be said about that as well as – uh Matthew being off the uh, defense, so we're going to be coming in with continuity, and I think all the right areas with an injection of strong veteran talent in our secondary that mostly has already played in this system. So, do they know the guys as well? Maybe not, but do they know the system? Yes. And if we can leverage that along with all these, you know, feel good, warm and fuzzies that everyone has going in OTAs right now, and get a yeah. good. 2-0 start, um, I think that would be an absolute game changer for this team and would really put everyone on notice. I know we're already kind of off-season darlings, but for it to translate early with two teams that are in a transitionary period is going to be a big key to success this season.
1: Yeah, and I mean, from an offensive standpoint, you get two teams that are really transitioning from a defensive depth chart in your division rivals. Obviously those games will be difficult, right? But you know, those two defenses are are having a lot of turnover that they'll have to adjust to. The Chiefs defense which was bad is going to have a lot of young players, you know, playing key minutes for them this year. And then after that you get the Jaguars and then the Texans. And so, you know, this offense for the Chargers could come out roaring out of the gates this year and just kind of put everybody on notice like Kyle is saying. So, I think from Just a technicality standpoint, like you have so many more options now available to you because people know what kind of what to expect from everybody. And I think Mike Williams kind of pointed to that, too, where you first year of an offense and especially like early on in the season, you're just so worried about like not messing up. And so now having two off seasons to learn this offense, you're just going to be able to play at a much more comfortable level and not have to worry about, you know, not messing up and just be able to play more free and, and go make plays. So I'm, I'm so excited to see how that pans out. I mean, we're talking about ways to improve the offense and, you know, Josh Palmer could take a step forward, similar to, you know, Asante Samuel Jr. More time in the pocket means more deep balls for Jalen Guyton, who I think is, is pretty underrated on Chargers Twitter. So, you know, there's a great opportunity as long as everybody stays healthy for this team and this offense to come out and just light the world on far on fire for the first month of the season.
3: Yeah, and I'll also add the the Broncos in there, right? We talked about continuity with the Chiefs and sure. Raiders Raiders um, not having it too much, but Broncos have a new head coach um, after, you know, kind of being identified as like a Vic Fangio culture type of team. Uh, and now, obviously, with the quarterback change, right? And we all view true lock to Russell Wilson as an upgrade. Like, I, I don't think there's much, yeah. of, much of a debate about that. But still, like, getting to know your receivers those first five, five, six games, like, I do think there probably will be some... Kind of growing pains there um you know just also adapting to your offensive line having a new quarterback in a new place i don't think always goes you know it always goes seamlessly uh, unless you're like tom brady in tampa like i guess that went pretty seamlessly but uh but even that, that's even that was yeah. start off so i remember him and arians yeah. were like going at it for True. the first month right Right. Even that started slow. So, I mean, you can kind of point to that as like, you know, maybe Russell Wilson and the Broncos are chugging by the second half of the season, but uh, I, I do think there will be some, you know, tough starts out the gate for them.
2: The Broncos also have to adjust to the least inspiring Broncos country. Let's ride. <laughs> so, that's going to be a big adjustment that I think is a little
1: underrated right now. Dude, he's so cringe, man. It's so, so bad. Uh,
2: Who released that? Who allowed that
1: out of the building?
2: (laughs) It's that. It's so bad.
1: It really is. It really is. Oh, man. You're you're talking about, like, who who decided that his whole thing was going to be Let's Ride? Like, did he just, like, on his own? Or did somebody tell him? Like, I need to know more about how this came to be because uh, just so corny, man.
3: Okay, can you explain to me what we're talking about? Russell
1: Wilson, you know how he would always say like "Go Hawks" in his for oh. Seattle. His yeah. thing with the Broncos is "Let's ride." But it's you haven't seen the videos. You haven't seen any of the Russell Wilson videos.
3: Uh no, I saw the video where uh, they did the draft picks thing, and Russell Wilson didn't he say something like he selected himself or whatever with those draft picks that they traded? I saw yes, that. That was also that was really corny. corny. That That was was incredibly corny, corny. but I
1: didn't see this new corny
3: thing that he's doing. It kind of all blends together at this point with him.
1: Yeah. Uh, So um... (laughs) early, early in the week, he uh, he like filmed himself talk like doing promo like media promos where you know he's all in uniforms, right? And he's there with like Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton, and it's just like that whole exchange was super, super, just like unnatural. And then (laughs) um, as Dingy points out, the team release like footage of him you know how they'll have like the the videos of them like hyping the crowd up you know it's yeah. him just like by himself and it's like broncos country let's ride let's ride <laughs> and i'm just like oh my gosh this guy is so cheesy man it's it's bad it's really <laughs> bad you gotta go watch it as soon as you get off here
3: yeah Z- i also have to rewatch him shouting into like his iphone camera that he's mr unlimited for four minutes mr I mean, unlimited that's still, like, one- <laughs> Mr. that's still one of my favorite clips. He uh he he just has to learn it's not his thing. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Oh man, but uh it is what is. All right. Uh Kyle, any final thoughts from uh the second week of OTAs?
2: Um, nothing jumping out right now off the top of my head, just kind of circling back to what I said before. Um I'm really excited for these first two weeks. And I really hope that this momentum, all this, all these early warm and fuzzies are gonna be are gonna pay off dividends, I feel like, if we start hot and it translates soon. If it translates early. We have enough veteran leadership to where if we stumble a little bit in the midway point, like some teams do, or they have to have those corrections happen at the bye week, they can, but the last thing I want is to lose all this momentum and hype that we're building up amongst ourselves and all this feel-good vibe from the team and come out of the gate kind of weak. So I'm really, really um, looking to make it up, actually, for week one to go watch the Raider game because I want to be there to see it. That's that's a goal for me.
1: Alex, any final thoughts, man?
3: Yeah, no. Uh, it's June in terms of Chargers hype. So, I mean, you know, you you start to learn uh, – you know, you kind of want to start to learn about the team. Obviously, we'll see more uh, when training camp comes and all that. Um, but everything feels good right now. Uh, and you start to kind of see what's been put into place uh, with the free agent signings, with the draft picks. And you're kind of starting to all see that pan out a little bit before it really does pan out. Um, but, you know, everything seems to be going pretty smoothly. Uh, no major injuries to report. That's always a big thing when it comes to, to OTAs. So the fact that Chargers have avoided
1: that is really good. Uh, and you just have to go go forward. Yes, yeah, so obviously hoping that everybody stays healthy throughout all this uh off season process. So um been a good week for us, obviously. Uh, you know, Alex got to watch his his guy, Rafa Nadal, in the open. Yeah, Uh Kyle Brandon got Staley's to go. Got Brandon Staley's guy too. That is very correct. And you know, Kyle got to go see Top Gun, even Rocking the Stash today in honor in their honor. So I think <laughs> you always have the mustache though, don't you?
2: I always have kind of a beard, but I just shaved out most of the rest and just kind of left the lip a bit.
1: There you go. There you go. That's uh, good.
2: And I'm going back. By the way,
1: um, <laughs> this is not <laughs> a one time.
2: View.
1: You're gonna see it again.
2: Oh yes, with at least you know the wife, my uh, the brother. There's gonna be at least two more showings. So mm. we're gonna be, we're gonna I'm, I'm gonna be at the theaters a bit. There you it's go. Really how nice was,
3: I, I, there. I? I gotta ask. How was my uh, my Philly guy Miles Teller in the movie?
2: Oh, dude, Teller did great. Rooster,
1: that's good. He's somebody. He's somebody from the originals. Son, right? Not okay.
2: Just somebody. He's Goose. Goose. Okay. Oh, okay. It's Goose and Rooster. You in it? Get it? it? Yeah. There you go. There go. you go. There. Yeah. Okay. Oh man.
1: <laughs> I've watched the original Top Gun a, a bunch of times because my my grandfather was in the Navy, flew a bunch of fighter jets in Korea. And so uh, he always made us watch Top Gun whenever we were hanging out with him. So I have not had the chance to go see the second one yet, but I will be there. Hopefully, Uh, you know, this is my last week of school. So next week when I get a little time off, I'm going to go see Top Gun in in theaters, hopefully. So. um, All right, guys. Well, uh, that's going to do it for us today. Kyle, appreciate you filling in for Tyler, who should be back uh, later this week from Hawaii. Hopefully he got a little bit of a tan. It looks like he's had a lot of good food and everything like that. Alex, welcome back to the States. Uh, Good to see you and uh, not hear birds for the first time in a while. (laughs) So I appreciate that. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, That's going to do it for us today. We'll see you next time.
4: Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual